Gracious Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for um, revealing yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. And we thank you for your written Word uh, that you have left us as well so we can know you. Um, you have left us everything we need to know about you and your Word. And I pray this morning as we dig in uh, to your Word that you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive what you have for us, um, that we would become more like Jesus, that your word would not return to you empty, but would accomplish the purposes you have for it this morning. And uh, we give you all the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to many of us, the Christmas story is a familiar one, although um, in this kind of post-Christian age, it may be less familiar to you. Um, but if you're familiar with the Christmas story, um, you have the characters. Mary, uh, a Hebrew teenager, really of no social standing, who, was, who became pregnant by the agency of the Holy Spirit with God's one and only Son, uh, she, along with her husband Joseph, were compelled uh, at that time by the ruler of the known world, Caesar Augustus, um, to go to their town, the town of their ancestry, uh, Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph being both in the line of David, the Old Testament king, uh, and Bethlehem being the city of David, that's where they were to go to be counted in the census. Jesus would be born in obscurity, not in a major city, but in, uh, because of the census, in a crowded rural village, born in humble circumstances among animals and travelers and shepherds. As it was foretold in the Old Testament, the Messiah would be in the lineage of King David. He'd be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, and it was the sovereign hand of God that even moved Caesar to call for a census so that Mary would show up in Bethlehem when she was ready to give birth. If you know the story well, you know that the Messiah was to come not just for Jews, but as prophesied in the Old Testament, but also as a light to the Gentiles, not to the rich and to the proud, but to the poor in spirit. And as you might expect, the birth of the Savior, uh, the message of salvation come to earth, was announced from heaven by angels in all the splendor of God's glory. However, where it was announced and to whom it was announced was rather unexpected. The message wasn't delivered to kings in the majesty of a, a grand palace or to high religious officials, the message of salvation and hope for the world was announced to a handful of, as it says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, we were reading my daughter the other night, kind of stinky, smelly shepherds who are out in the fields, um, low social standing, humble folks out in the countryside while the, while the world slept. And the same message goes out today. 
to the same kind of people. Jesus said in Luke 5.31, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Those who know they are sinners in need of a Savior, those are the ones for whom Jesus came and for whom Jesus died. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in Luke 2.14 it says, On earth, peace to men on whom His favor rests. On whom does God bestow His peace and His mercy in sending His Son? On whom his favor rests. And who are those people? Well, Mary, the mother of Jesus, reveals their identity in Luke chapter 1. Those who fear him from generation to generation. The humble, the hungry, not the rulers, not the proud. Where meek souls will receive him still the dear Christ enters in. If that describes you this morning, if you know who you are, if you agree with Romans 3.23 that you have sinned and fallen short of God's righteous standard, then I bring you good news of great joy. A Savior has been born to you. So who is this Savior? Conrad read from John chapter 1, and in, we're going to bounce around a little bit in there if you want to turn to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verse 9, says, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word. The Word in, verses, in those two verses in 1.14, was a term that was used actually by both Greeks and Jews in a variety of ways. The Greek term is logos. The Greeks used that term logos in a couple of different ways. It could mean a person's thoughts or reason, or it might refer to a person's um, speech. Um, or expression of their thoughts. But as a philosophical term, logos meant the rational principle that ruled the universe, even the creative energy that generated the universe. In Hebrew, the word is described a few ways. One, it was an agent of creation. Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord 
were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. It was also used uh, to describe the source of God's message to his people through the prophets and God's law, his standard of holiness. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. My point is that John, in writing his gospel, used a term that both Greeks and Jews would understand, that he was claiming Jesus was the God of the universe. Foolishness to Greeks and outright blasphemy to Jews. Now, John makes some important distinctions about the word He says that in the beginning was the Word. See, in the beginning, the the Word already existed. Jesus always was. Yes, Jesus took on human flesh and was born into this world, but as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, He is the eternal God. John reinforces the fact of Jesus' deity In verse 2, when he states, he was with God in the beginning. Now, there's an ancient heresy known as Arianism that taught that Jesus did not exist from all eternity, but that God created him. He was the first and special creation of God, which would mean, of course, that Jesus was not truly God by nature. There are actually there are some cults today that still believe and teach that heresy, like Jehovah's Witnesses. In stating that the Word was with God, John also makes an important distinction between the Father and the Son. Jesus is not just one of the faces of God. He's not just one way the Father reveals Himself another heresy called modalism, John makes it clear that Jesus is the Son, is a distinct and separate person, yet He Himself is God from all eternity. And John reinforces the deity of the Word again in verse 3 when he states that He is the Creator of all things. Of course, in Genesis 1.1, we learn that God created everything. Down in verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John combats yet another heresy about Jesus' true nature, uh, one that you don't, I don't hear much about today. It's called docetism. Um, he states that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Remember, John wrote his gospel a few generations after the actual events. And so the folks to whom he was writing were not actual eyewitnesses to Jesus in the flesh. There were some who believed that the spirit and the divine were utterly opposed um, 
to matter and flesh, while others thought that gods visited the earth merely disguised as human beings. But notice John doesn't say he became a man, as unfortunately some modern translations um, have translated it. John actually uses kind of an earthier term, even a, maybe even considered a crude term, flesh. See, John wanted to leave no doubt as to Jesus' humanity. When Jesus was born, he was not part human and part God. He was completely human and completely divine. In the Greek, that word is theanthropos, the God-man. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And when John says that Jesus made his dwelling among us, it literally means he pitched his tent. It's a reference to the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the place where God was found, where his glory dwelled. This would have been a clear declaration, at least to Jews, the Jews at the time, that the fullness of God's deity dwelled in the man, Jesus. The Word who was with God from the beginning, who became flesh, who made his dwelling among us. This is the Savior of whom we speak. This is the one we're talking about. Jesus, the Son of God, the maker of all things. The Word made flesh who came to earth as a humble and frail human being, born in humble circumstances, born in a common stable, born to parents of no account, without the pomp and circumstance that was deserving of a king. Heralded by angels, yes, but announced to shepherds. Let me read Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see the thing, this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God 
for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds responded to the message given them by the angels by receiving it on faith. And arriving in Bethlehem, their faith was confirmed when they discovered that everything was the way the angels had said. Then they went out and amazed people with the story that had been told them, and they worshiped. So what is our response to the Christmas message? A message that may be familiar, even wrote. God has revealed himself to us through his Son, through the living Word, Jesus Christ, when he took on human flesh and appeared on the scene over 2,000 years ago. And he reveals himself to us today through his written word. And by his grace, he opens our eyes to see the light of the gospel that draws us to himself in saving faith. The Son of God has come to earth as a man to be subject to the limitations of human flesh, subject to the same emotions, the same pains, the same temptations, and yet lived the sinless life that we cannot. He came to bear the punishment we deserve for sins committed against a holy God. Now, if you're here this morning and you have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, then our response should be that of the shepherds. Wonder, witness, and worship. If we've received good news of great joy, then we need to be sharing that with friends and family and to anyone who will listen. We need to share that amazing message, not out of guilt or obligation, but out of gratitude and with great joy for what Christ has done for us. And we need to be worshipers. Not grudging homage paid to a merciless dictator, but with joy in our hearts and praise on our lips. We need to worship the God of mercy and love so that the world would come to know that He has sent His one and only Son to bring us eternal life. Now, maybe you're here this morning and the Christmas message is a new one to you. Or you've heard it before but haven't responded to it. What will your response be? I urge you today to come humbly, to come hungry, to come in reverent awe to the throne of grace and receive peace and mercy, to receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that God offers through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. To you, I bring 
good news of great joy. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have sent your one and only Son. It was your plan from eternity that we should be rescued through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, make us worshipers this morning, like the shepherds. Even though we have heard this story again and again at Christmas time, that we would receive it with the same awe and wonder as the shepherds did 2,000 years ago. That upon receiving that message, we would worship you. And that that worship would spill out, spill out these doors this morning and into our weeks and into our workplaces and classrooms and homes and neighborhoods that all might come to know the grace and mercy of a loving Savior, Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns with you now and who is coming again, not as an infant, but as a conquering king. In Jesus' name, amen.